Hi. Bienvenidos. And welcome to the Latino Card. I'm JJ Saldana. And I'm Rebecca De Leon. And we are recording from the Radio Boise studios. And today we have a really special guest. And we're going to talk about one of the many areas of expertise that she has. Uh, I unfortunately just got to know our guest just recently. I should have gotten to know her a long time ago. But today we are so happy to welcome Chelsea Ganoa Lincoln to the Latino Card. Welcome, Chelsea. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. So we brought you here because I think the first time that I heard about you in the community was through Add the Words. I know that you have been obviously very active in Add the Words uh, for a very long time. And so we uh, are probably going to talk about Add the Words today. Um, but before we get into that, why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about yourself? What do you do for work and um, what your stance is on long walks on the beach? First of all, I love any beach and <laughs> I don't always love long walks, but I like the beach. <laughs> so I think that's a great place to start. <laughs> we start off with controversy. Waves. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I like to have some fresh mango and limon and just sit there and nice. stare. I am from Idaho, born and raised. Uh, I actually grew up in Wilder. Bonus points for folks who know where Wilder is. <laughs> um, sometimes I get blank stares. And I loved it out there. I went to school, kindergarten through high school. My grandmother on my mother's side would not let me leave the state for college. Grams told me that Alaska was too far away. She didn't care how much money they were going to give me and that I needed to stay somewhere close. So I went to College of Idaho. And that's um, really close. Yeah, yeah. super close. <laughs> yeah, you stayed Hot very close. You stayed in Canyon County. Exactly. <laughs> but it felt like a world of its own. So I went to school there for psychology and education. Um, I had big plans to becoming a teacher, and I got pretty far into that, started the master's program at NNU, and then all of a sudden, here I am getting roped into a petition initiative to recall the then at the time superintendent uh, Tom Luna. Mm -hmm. And then from there, I said, oh, I don't think I want to teach in Idaho. They're not treated very well. I think I want to help teachers trying to work on the outside of that. And that just escalated all of my political activism very quickly. Wow. Um, but since 2012, I have been doing behavioral therapy for kids with cognitive disabilities. Wow. And I love my kiddos. My niche is kind of um, tends to be kids who are younger. I usually start as soon as we get their diagnosis around three. Kids who are nonverbal and high aggression, typically on the autism spectrum. So that's wow. kind of what I've been doing for way too long. I'm slowly phasing that out, and now I'm actually a litigation support coordinator for Legal Voice. That is a nonprofit out of Seattle. They do the protection and progress of LGBTQ and women's rights through court litigation. Wow. And I'm their first hire in Idaho, and hopefully one of many. I'm really excited that they're taking cases in our state now because we definitely need them on the forefront of protecting rights and progression of rights. And you also ran for office because that's where I first heard your name. Yeah. And I Can't heard a lot that. of great <laughs> things about your campaign. I heard that you did some Spanish ads, and mm -hmm. that's really impressive. So I was just like, I have to check out who this is. Yes, I did. I did decide to run for the legislative seat over in Canyon County, District 10. That's in Caldwell. I ran against incumbent Greg Cheney. Um, and the reason I did that was because I've been also involved in the Idaho Democratic Party for quite some time. Um, right now I hold a regional position, so I sit on the executive committee. And then I also hold a state position as the chair of the LGBT Democratic Caucus. I just recently resigned my position. Do you ever position. sleep? 
Sometimes I layer a lot I of feel things. Like you're in so many things. If I can do it from a phone, I can make it happen. Yeah, <laughs> and you're a you wife and mom on top yeah, of all of that. That's how I do it with the kiddo. Is if I can do it from my phone and or from having my AirPods in, then I can make it pretty much anything happen. But I decided to run for office because it felt like it was important to have some representation, and um, knowing that it would be a tough race, I thought it was still important to bring some of those important uh, stances and topics to light that weren't being talked about. And representation definitely matters. Yes, and my wife ran for the Senate, so we were able to cover more ground at the same time. Um, and then our other running mate uh, was Siad. He was actually a junior at the College of Idaho at the time, an immigrant himself. And we were able to cover a lot of ground, bring up a lot of topics. We did send out bilingual mailers, which is not something that is typically done. We were able to have some bilingual radio ads, which is, again, not typically done. Trying to get data on those voters, knowing that we have 80,000 eligible Latinx voters in Idaho, and they're just not being talked to, and that's unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're not getting out to vote because nobody's yes. talking to them. Nope, they're not. Why would they? Yeah. If we're exactly. not showing up for them, then why would they show up for any of us? Exactly. And that's something yeah. that I'm hammering home all of the time with the Idaho Democratic Party, and my wife is now the chair of the party, so she knows I'm pretty relentless when it comes to so you have, um, talking about some of those needs. <laughs> you could say that. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Awesome. So, and, and what about your Latinx background? Yeah, so my Latinx background, my father, Antonio, he goes by Tony. Um, you know, he comes from a very large family of many siblings, um, 10 siblings total. I might... 10. Yes, there's a lot of tios and tias in there. Wow. And they, uh, you know, came up from Texas when they were very young. And some of their family dynamics were not the best, unfortunately. Um, but they all turned out to be very successful, wonderful, compassionate human beings, which is nice. Um, but they did lose their parents very young to a car accident. Oh. And so unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, they were without their parents. But there's some silver lining that the foster parents who took them in felt it was their calling to make sure that large families stayed together. So those siblings were able to be raised together. The, sh- the shortfall on that is they weren't able to speak Spanish in the home. They weren't allowed to practice Catholicism as they had been raised. Um, so there was some give and some take there, and that certainly, I think, impacted everybody differently. And I, s- I think that people bring with them traumas wherever they're going, depending on how they're raised. So with that, my dad was not able to pass on any language to me. Very limited background on what we know about our family from there. So it's always kind of that constant dynamic of knowing that my ancestors have definitely guided my footsteps to where I am, but also knowing that there's some disconnect of how I've gotten here exactly. Wow, that's wonderful. We just had a podcast on, you know, what's Latino enough. And, you know, you're. it doesn't matter Really, I mean, if you are a Latina, you identify as, as a Latina, you're in the Latino community mm-hmm. doing this kind of work. It's not your fault that you weren't exposed to Spanish when you right. were um, growing up. And that doesn't make you any less Latina than somebody who was exposed to it. And it's not for lack of effort. I tried very hard to learn Spanish. And I went <laughs> to Wilder and I just wasn't able to really pick it up and not being immersed in it 24-7. Um, but when I went to Africa for a couple of months, I picked up Swahili pretty easily. So I'm not sure how that works out in my brain, but I'm, you know, on my Duolingo app with my small child, I guess not small anymore, almost a year old child, Raleigh, no. um, trying to make sure that they at least have exposure 
watching whatever cartoons I can find in Spanish just to make sure that there's some exposure there for them now, hoping that they'll be able to get some of that later, even if it's not for me personally. Mm -hmm. um, but I know you and I, Rebecca, had talked a little bit about like what it's like to be Latino sometimes. I felt like this morning my... Um, being brown enough kind of comes in seasons because now I'm coming to the season where my skin is getting darker <laughs> and suddenly these microaggressions are happening all the time um, when I've been shopping I mean it's just been like boom 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 three times in the last week and I'm all what is happening here am I just super aware right now and I'm like oh my skin <laughs> my skin's a different color I'm probably three shades darker than I was and I'm literally being treated differently the way I'm being treated mm. in stores and approached in stores and customer service wise and I'm like wow my my privilege just comes in season it's a seasonal thing for me <laughs> you're lucky because I stay brown the whole time <laughs> Right. And it's what can I do with my privilege when I have it during those winter months to draw people's attention to it before summer gets here. But it's like such an interesting dichotomy. To well, hopefully in. now that because you're a mom, um, Rebecca can teach you about the chancla. I've already seen I mean I know what the chunkla is it's not like I never saw it get thrown at my friends <laughs> growing up uh, right now it's been trying to keep Raleigh out of the dog water dish which they just oh, are yes. beelining for now that they're mm -hmm. walking so trying to remember to turn off the mom brain and turn on the behavioral therapist mm -hmm. brain I'm like you're trained in this you should know how to help them not yeah. want to do that oh yeah that's right that is a really helpful background but we'll, I'll take you out it. for target practice one day. <laughs> <laughs> Deal. <laughs> so I just want to um, go ahead and mention, you know, um, as we're listening to you, I noticed that you do mention that your child's name is Raleigh mm -hmm. and their pronouns are they, them. Mm -hmm. um, so can you explain what that means and yeah. why you decided to do that? So when my wife, Evangeline, she goes by Van, we were planning this pregnancy and um, we decided to find out the gender early on because it was part of some testing that we did, some genetic testing. Um, and that's just because if something were coming, whether it was a chromosomal disorder or something that we wanted to be able to get out of our mental health field so we can focus on that um, singularly mm -hmm. and not have to carry both advocacy work as a behavioral therapist and a parent of someone who might need extra attention. Right. Um, but we didn't tell anybody what the gender was. Mm -hmm. We thought that was really important. So we maintained that through the baby shower and even after Raleigh was born that we just wanted to be able to support them, love them, and however they identified is what we were going to support. So we tried to pick a gender-neutral name. Raleigh is my stepdad's dad's name, so it's my grandfather's name. But had Raleigh shown up in what would be considered biologically a woman's body, we would have spelled it with an I. Their middle I really name like is, the name. Thank you. The, mm -hmm. the middle name is Sloan, and that would have also been the same for either somebody born in a girl's or a boy's body. But we feel like it's important that if we're going to talk the talk to walk the walk, and as members of the LGBTQ community, we want to support people who are non-gender conforming. And so we feel like it was really important not to push those societal conformities on our own child. Um, so we decided to use them and their they pronouns. And sometimes it's really difficult. Sometimes I still catch myself and I had to kind of reframe my brain and try it again. Sometimes I had to help my mom or help other people in my family um, remember that we're not having them conform to certain expectations. They wear, they wear girl clothes. They wear boy clothes. They wear whatever I think is cute, and I don't care what's on it. 
Um, we buy them all different kinds of toys. They have dolls. They have cars. Uh, you know, they wear flowers and still kind of also combating friends and family as we go along the way. And they're like, oh, but that's, you know, a girl blanket or, oh, boys can't have blankets with flowers on it. Well, boys like flowers. Kids like flowers. Raleigh's a kid. We have flower stuff with flowers. Well, so. I've noticed a lot of stores. Well, not I shouldn't say a lot, but I've noticed some stores <clears throat> now are going that way when it comes to toys. They're not having the yes. girl toy section and the boys, they're just having a toy section. Yes. And I know like singer Celine Dion came out with. Um, a new clothing line for babies that's also non-conforming. It's whatever. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah it's so great. Well, it's so interesting. Even when we see something cute from the girls' section, I have to buy it two sizes bigger because the girls' clothes are so much tighter. Mm. Mm. Already at 12 months or, you know, 2T, we're still having clothes that are much more tight on little girls than little boys. Like, that's just unnecessary right. or just pants they're like skin tight versus just comfy sweats like yeah why can't they just be both why can't a pair why can't a girl get a pair of comfortable sweats when they're 12 months old Ugh. doesn't make sense to me. i can't get a pair of comfortable pants now <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's, it's true really annoying that none of them have pockets <laughs> big enough pockets for anything besides your pinky finger yep that's really really annoying we need to do something mm-hmm. about that that's my new hill that i'm gonna die on okay next podcast um, for that yeah one for sure that's what we're gonna <laughs> that's what we're gonna tackle <laughs> <laughs> so chelsea um mm-hmm. Let's go ahead then and, and get a lot of your expertise because you have been working on Add the Word so much. You identify as LGBT. Um, let's let's get into that a little bit and, and the work that you do um, and the work that you have been doing for a long time and knowing you know how far we have come. Um, what does the work look like here now? And what does the work look like within the Latinx community? Mm-hmm. You know, as far as the way the work looks now, I think about it on a national scale and what it looks like for people in our community who are scared right now because we have an administration who has personally made it um, their effort to target transgender people, especially our military and our veterans, uh, and to invalidate their service or to invalidate people that are serving currently is so disheartening and so disruptive and destructive. Um, to people who have spent their entire life doing that service, um, whether or not people agree with military or wars or not, um, folks from our community are being mistreated. So I think that when I think about things on a national level, it's definitely scary for folks well, right and they're now. being mistreated for doing an honorable thing. Absolutely. They're fighting for all of our rights, mm-hmm. and they're being discriminated. Yes, and whenever we have people talking about their discord with military, which everyone falls on a different spectrum on those beliefs, Um, We always kind of go back, well, if you wouldn't stand in front of the soldiers, you're standing behind them. Mm -hmm. And that's always something that we have to recognize, whether or not we agree with policies or whatever would put them in harm's way. So when I think about it at a national level, I really think about those that are being targeted right now. Um, You know, some people have asked why I call my spouse wife, like her nickname is literally wife. Some people call (laughs) their spouse babe or honey or dear. No, I call her wife. And it's because that privilege wasn't something that we thought we would get to see. And based on this administration and depending on how the 2020 election cycle goes, I don't know if I'll get to call her wife throughout the duration of our relationship. So I call her wife because it's a point of privilege and I recognize that and I honor that every single day. Um, So when I think about things on a national scale, I think those are definitely conversation points that are coming up. When I think about things locally, there's still a lot of misinformation, a lot of misguided folks who don't recognize the rights that do exist and those that do not exist. People have a tendency to assume that because folks can legally be married, that everything else is protected. 
but actually based on the Idaho Human Rights Act, we're still missing the word sexual orientation and gender identity. So there are 12 cities that have non-discrimination ordinances. So within those city limits of those 12 cities, people are protected from discrimination in their home, at their employment, and in public places of accommodation. But didn't the legislature at least talk about even restricting the, trying to take local power away so they couldn't make those laws? Yes, we have definitely seen in past sessions them kind of what I would tend to call flexing their muscle on local control. When, when they um, made it so that municipalities could not give uh, city employees raises and they cut that control off at a local level, we definitely felt that as kind of a target. Like, we see you at a city level. We're going to restrict your power. And if you keep pushing us, we're going to make it so you can't pass other things. And so that was kind of a window where people stopped trying to pass non-discrimination ordinances. Um, we also, you know, we don't want to make cities scared to step out. So it's always that push and shove of you should be doing the right thing and also understanding that if we lose some of those allies in leadership, it puts our back up against a harder wall. So it's constantly navigating the rock and the hard spot of how far can we push, how much can we expect of these leaders who consider themselves allies, and when do we need to back off strategically to give ourselves some time and space so that people can breathe. Um, and again, it's like that multifaceted approach. So constantly looking at city leadership, constantly looking at legislative leadership, and already there's uh, lawmakers wanting to discuss language for the 2020 session, which I personally thought it was going to be off the table. It's an election year. Right. People are going to be trying to be out conserving each other if they're on the conservative side. Um, so I think that's going to be and a really... All, also listening to special interest groups saying Absolutely. don't vote this way. Absolutely. So it's going to be really interesting that they even wanted to bring up the conversation again, considering that last year's um, quote unquote compromise language discussions didn't necessarily go very well. And, you know, the pro tem and I kind of had it out, whether it was in op-eds or in panels. Um, so I was really shocked that those conversations might be coming back. But we're going to be trying different approaches of what it looks like to have community members come in have those discussions. We want people in the community to understand what these compromise languages, um, compromise language might look like. We want them to understand what some of the repercussions could be so that when people think we're not accepting compromises or not um, going for it when we could have a small incremental win, we want them to understand why. And it's typically because there's some language in there that might actually be harmful to people. So at a state level, it tends to be a little bit messy. We tend to work in layers. There's a city level that we're working at. There's always a legislative layer that we're working at. And then it's year round, constantly educating folks on what um, rights they actually do have. There have been some uh, litigation done at a federal level, but nothing that's ironclad in legislation that would promise people rights, whether it's in their home, employment. And what's or the big, the biggest reason they give you as to why not add these four words? The biggest reason that we continue to have um, is around their religious freedoms. And they can't really tell me what they're afraid of, what the religious freedom, like what part is going to be um, harmed. But from what I can tell, it's because people who are business owners will have to do business with everyone. And they won't be able to, like cake bakers, the photographers, the florist, won't be able to turn people away when they don't want to participate in marriages, um, which is super unfortunate. And typically that's kind of where we hit our head against a wall is explaining that 
what do we do about the folks who live in Arco, Idaho? What do we do about the folks who live in, you know, super rural parts of the state um, that it creates a burden on them to have to travel outside of that? They want to have a small backyard wedding and there's only one florist, only one baker, only one photographer. Um, there's already protections inside of the Idaho Human Rights Act for people who have five employees or less. They're not held to that same standard. So super small mom and pop shops already are not having to abide by some of that. Um, there's already a test put in place by a non-biased party, the Idaho Human Rights Commission. They're the ones that would get these complaints filed with them. Um, they're the ones that would go in and do interviews and investigations and determine whether or not discrimination had actually taken place and if something should happen. Most of the time it's mediation. Um, and that would not create an additional cost. It's actually a neutral cost. It would not be something that's additional. And our constant um, hitting point with them is, why wouldn't you want to give businesses also that padded protection mm -hmm. of being able to go in and say, I was accused of being discriminatory. Let the Idaho Human Rights come in right. and show that I am not. Like, instead of just having people's names out there, businesses and things like that, putting in alignment with, you know, Chick-fil-A, why not be able to welcome someone like the non-biased third party of the Idaho Human Rights Commission to come in and say this is a protection for both people who are being accused of being discriminatory and also a protection for those who feel they're being discriminated against and let them work it out. It rarely ends in anything more than a whole lot of talking and a whole lot of mediation. Hmm. So I have heard that, you know, another reason why we don't need to add the words is because it's already protected federally. But I also have un come to understand that, you know, Title VII, it doesn't necessarily extend all the way to, um, you know, gender. I think it's gender expression and sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, that kind of goes back to what I was saying about how there's been some federal litigation uh, in employment and in housing that at some certain cases have extended protections or protected people um, from not being kicked out of their homes and things like that. But there is nothing at a federal level legislatively that actually guarantees these protections. Um, and it definitely depends on the circuit that you're in and the court system you're in of how they're going to interpret that. And we just cannot get them to take that up at the Supreme Court um, to get kind of a final say on that. I'm kind of scared if they would right now, to Good be point. honest. Um, so that's another space, another lens that we're thinking of nationally, right? What does it mean to be a moving target enough to fall under the radar and hopefully wait things out? Um, but it's, it's going to be a little bit intimidating for a while. This administration has been making federal, uh, federal court appointees. Um, those guys are going to be around for a long time. Some of them are for super conservative women. They're going to be around for a long time, and they're young. That's the thing I was going to say. They're young. Yeah, they're young. They're going to be here for a while. So there's some definitely ways that we're going to have to uh, level up our capacity, level up our strategies, um, come together in a different way, uh, and kind of re-strategize and rethink about how we're moving. Uh, a lot of the times my cohort, Megan, uh, they're just absolutely incredible. Seriously, the other half of my brain, especially <laughs> since I've had baby, they have stepped in. 110%. They're the reason that Add the Words is on their Pride Tour and able to actually make it to all of this year's events because they were willing to travel and set up a kind of a crowd resourcing of uh, making sure that we had places to stay and booths to set up. 
um, with the Intermountain for Housing Council and with ACLU Idaho. So shout out to Megan for sure. Um, but definitely we talk about what does it look like to move like water and to go around barriers, to go around boulders, knowing that over time a current washes everything downstream as it needs to and kind of wears away at boulders and um, different things that might be in our way. So definitely always thinking about how we're going to have to maneuver and kind of level up that, that so strategy. you mentioned a little bit about this earlier, but and I've seen this argument online, people saying, well, the gay marriage was approved, so we don't need to add the four words. Mm-hmm. You guys can be married. What more could you ask for? Well, <laughs> well, we live in Caldwell, and we're trying to raise a small child. It would be really cool if we knew that we couldn't be kicked out of businesses. There are literally restaurants that I avoid because when I've gone in there with my parents, I get to kind of like capitalize on their obvious whiteness and their privileges um, and kind of be part of that and feel safe and use it kind of as an umbrella if we're out. But if there's like a nice steakhouse or something that typically there's cowboys and ranchers and, you know, good old boy types that are in there, I'm not taking my wife and kid in there by myself on a Friday night. That's not going to happen. We'll go down the street someplace where I know the owners, where I know I'm welcomed and I know that we're going to be safe and that if somebody were to give us trouble or look at us a certain way, that we have that there. And that's because Caldwell doesn't have a non-discrimination ordinance. And it's sad that you can't take your child somewhere and, you know. At least like you and your wife can maybe take what they have yeah. to say, but a child shouldn't have to. Absolutely. And it's always thinking about well, what you do we, shouldn't have to either. But what I'm do just we have to the, filter? Yeah. And is our safety going to be at risk? Or even in cases of trying to buy a home, we have a home in the, in the um, historical district of Caldwell. You know, lenders could have turned us away if we decided to work with a lender that was in Caldwell, if they saw two women on an application. Um, sometimes I've had in the past where they, the bank didn't understand why I needed this person verified on my account, but I needed them not on my checks. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, if you had to mail in your check to a landlord who didn't know your sexual orientation and who could kick you out if they saw another woman on your check that you're mailing for rent, then you might understand why I need them verified on the account. I need them not on the checks. Right. So just explaining like little nuanced things that exist just in that space um, or having the fact that we had to call, make extra phone calls to find out what we had to do to make sure my wife was on my child's birth certificate. Nobody else would just have to ask those questions. It would just be assumed, mm-hmm. making sure they were going to have all the privileges and powers that they needed if something happened to me, if something were happening to the child, all of those who was in ladders that straight couples never have to consider. And you'll probably have to go through that when they start going to school. Absolutely. Oh, well, and, you know, Evangeline's on the birth certificate, and we still are considering doing legal adoption to make sure that no matter what state we're in, um, no matter what happens with this administration, if our marriage, God forbid, becomes null and void, um, that they still have everything they need to be sure that they're in parental custodies. So in this, um, you know, in, in this add the words where, where people are saying, okay, it's either religious freedom or um, the LGBT community can live in a house or have a job and not get fired for being um, LGBT. You know, I can't help but always look at the statistics and what the statistics show that LGBT youth are something like three times more likely to be homeless. Um, You know, all of these statistics that Mm -hmm. are always like LGBT people are so much more likely to um, do all kinds of experience, all kinds of may contemplate self-harm or actually attempt suicide. 
Um, those are statistics that we've brought to the pro tem and to the speaker. Um, it's disheartening because uh, we, I sit across from these lawmakers and the power that they have and the authority that they assume, and I know they don't have intentions of being harmful. I don't think that it's malicious. I don't. Um, but, for instance, sitting in the first and only at the words hearing that we had and watching the committee members go through 72 hours of testimony that 90% of were in favor of updating the Idaho Human Rights Act and seeing them experience probably the first conversations they've ever had about there someone's some very powerful testimonies. amazing testimonies and seeing their experience to, you know, hearing conversations around sexual orientation, and gender identity, probably for their first time in their lives ever reminded me a lot of my parents when I came out. Um, originally, they were going to disown me. They were shocked. Mm -hmm. They were really concerned. They were like, we raised you better. And I'm like, raise me better. How? You know, when my friends came out oh. after high school and didn't have a home to go to, we welcomed them to our holidays. So when you say raise me better, that's how you raise me. Um, and for me, it was coming to terms with the fact that my parents were going through a grieving process of what it was going to look like for the rest of my life. And they had to come to terms and literally go through that grieving process of denial and anger and all of the things, right? The bargaining, it's a phase, right? Um, until we found peace, until it was me just saying, Mom and Dad, I'm not going to fight with you about this because there's nothing to fight about. This is still me. Same values, same goals, same good human, and I'm still going to show up to supper on Sunday, and we're going to work this out, and we're going to be a family, damn it. <laughs> you know? I'm still going to do all the things. And fast forward, Dad walked me down the aisle. My stepdad walked me down the aisle. My mom is our biggest advocate. They, They're grandparents now. Right? They are smitten with Raleigh. They are fierce supporters and love Evangeline like their own. That's great. But I also see a lot of that with our lawmakers. They're going through this grieving process. They don't have a one-on-one -on -one connection with someone like me in their life who's like, yeah. I'm going to show up to supper on Sunday, and by God, we're going to stay family and work through this. They have this during legislative session, right? So I look at it as this grieving process they're also going through as this older generation of white, authoritative men, a lot of them with very conservative religious backgrounds, who are kind of grappling with what life meant, what it means now, what it looks like, and what it might actually mean in their own reality, in their families, in their grandchildren. Um, and I think that there's a lot of struggles in their own grieving process. So where I'm always fierce, in your face, I'm going to speak truth to power, whether it's behind closed doors or during a legislative hearing, I see the other side of the reality and that these folks are starting their very first few steps of a journey. And what feels like has been going on 15 years for us is only a few steps through that door. Yes. I have so many folks that are quiet allies, and if it were more widespread across the state, um, you know, what it would look like to actually step up and show up. That's one reason that this year at the Pride events, instead of petitioning lawmakers, instead of collecting signatures to take back to the state house, instead we've collected signatures to petition every single vendor at every single Pride event. That's amazing that you did that. Asking mm -hmm. them to stop capitalizing inclusion and to actually show up as allies 365 days a year. So we're going to be asking them to participate during legislative session, writing letters. Um, we're going to ask them to come down to the Capitol. Um, we're going to ask them to sponsor nonprofit organizations at these Pride festivals so that money stays in the pockets of organizations that are actually doing the work. And they're not just showing up and making money off of rainbow swag.
Perfect. That's and it's great. been super well That's received. Brilliant, really. Super well received. And we were doing it at every single event, so seven total. I mean, but when you think about it, there was over a hundred booths here at Boise Pride. This was probably what the biggest I've ever seen. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, forty up in Coeur d'Alene, another thirty or so at each of the Eastern Idaho ones that we go to. We're going to Lewiston for the first time this year. Wow. Um, we're going to be at Palouse Pride up in Moscow. They wait until August when the students come back. It's a fabulous pride if you ever get a chance to go. Um, Coeur d'Alene has one of the best prides. It's so great. Um, Rebecca, guess up the car. Right? It's so <laughs> much fun. I, mean, I was telling Rebecca when we had talked earlier, one of the things I love about Coeur d'Alene Pride is they found a way to maintain peace without having police and there were some hecklers, there were some counter-protesters there, and they had the large angels, which you may remember yes. being at the Pulse memorials and things that were the really big, elaborate wings. And this group of straight allies in their big white angel wings showed up, surrounded the hecklers, so nobody could see them, we couldn't hear them, they were singing songs. And after like an hour, these folks standing around them, they just disappeared. They went away. And it was... Amazing. So if you ever get a chance to go to the other prides around the state that are still super focused on community, super focused on kids and families, they are so magnificent and you wow. get such a great feeling walking away. What a beautiful, like peaceful way to deal with something like that. So um, before we go, I, I just wanted to ask you one last question. And it's if people want to learn more or if they maybe want to get involved, um, how can they how can they do that? The easiest way is to follow us on Facebook, Add the Words Idaho, or addthewords.org. Um, we have different forms that you can fill out on there. We're constantly always looking for team members. And it doesn't have to be a huge in front of the camera, behind a microphone role if that's not your thing. Um, just people helping with data entries, people making phone calls. We literally have something for everybody. We're going to plug people in where they feel good and where they feel most utilized and feel passionate about. So that's a great way to get in touch with us. And those emails come directly to myself and to Megan. So whenever you reach out, you're getting us directly. It's on her phone, so she's going to see it. <laughs> this is true. I literally could open up my phone right now and have the emails. Wow. <laughs> there you guys go. A direct line. Uh, thank you so much, Chelsea, for coming on. It's really been a pleasure to have you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, it's been it's been a good discussion. I feel like I learned a lot. So I learned a um, lot. Thank you all for listening. And if you want to give us any kind of questions or comments, uh, you can reach us at latinocardidaho at gmail.com if you want to email us. We're also on Twitter at the Latino Card. Um, JJ and I are very active on Twitter. And so is Ash, and it, her Twitter handle is A-M-M-Boise. Not the radio M. station. Yes, <laughs> like the radio station. JJ's at JJ Saldana, and I'm at Rebecca A. DeLeon. So if you want to follow us, you can send us um, a DM at the Latino card. You can send us an email, and we welcome any kind of questions, um, comments, concerns. If we were wrong, let us know. Um, I'm never wrong. <laughs> JJ will fight you. <laughs> But we uh, welcome you and we'll see you all later. Hasta Bye. Hasta luego.